Hi there, and welcome to another edition of the Promo Kitchen Podcast. This is Mark Graham, and I'm joined by Danny Rosen for this special and somewhat emotional interview with Paul Bellantone, PPAI's outgoing CEO. We are recording this interview on November 20th, three days after Paul announced that he was stepping down as CEO of PPAI. Paul joined PPAI in 1998 and worked his way to the CEO position in 2011 a role he will serve until March 2021. In his two decades at PPAI, he helped steer the organization through some choppy waters, like 9-11, the financial collapse of 2008-2009, the shooting at the Mandalay Bay mere months before Expo 2018, and multiple legislative threats. And with the current coronavirus pandemic, Paul's steady hand has guided an industry that's had to adjust to a whole new way of doing business. Since Promo Kitchen started in 2011, we have had the opportunity to interview Paul on several different occasions. Looking back at the episodes since 2012 is an interesting time capsule of his time as CEO. So it was only fitting that Danny and I sit down with Paul to explore the reasons behind his decision to step down, what he thinks about the future of the industry and the association, and also what's next for him professionally. This is a longer episode than usual, and we invite you to settle in as we map Paul's time at PPAI with the broader trends that have impacted our industry. After the interview is over, we have created a highlight reel of some of our past episodes with Paul, starting from 2012 all the way up to March 2020, when the global pandemic was starting to wreak havoc on our industry. This is a wide-ranging discussion, and I hope you enjoy it as much as we did. It's a great pleasure to welcome Mr. Paul Bellantone to the podcast. Welcome, sir. Mark, Danny, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. It really is. This is a heavy one, man. It's a heavy one. It's exciting. It's, it's emotional. I, I told you guys I had Kleenex nearby, but I think this is going to be more fun and interesting for listeners. We got a lot of questions to ask, Paul, and I think Mark and I on behalf of the Promo Kitchen and the rest of the promotional products community just want to say thank you. I think we start with that and, you know, and I think we end with that. And I think it's important just to really lay home the message that you have just done an amazing job for PPAI, but also the industry at large. And we are so appreciative. So I'll start there. Well, thank you so much. It's been an honor to represent and serve this industry. I hope that's showed up in most of the things that I've done. Yeah, there's no doubt it has. And I think we'll get into some of those things here. I think I want to just ask this open-ended question around the moment when you knew it was time to go, was there something that just shined a light on you? What did it feel like? What went through your Paul Bellantone locks of hair and brain? <laughs> there were a number of stages that brought me to it. It wasn't any one thing. Danny, you and I have talked very frankly about our children and our families and how we split the time amongst the different things that we're doing. and. You know, we've talked about aspirations beyond this industry. And I think, again, I'll I'll say this. I hope it showed up in ways I want to be able to always give my best to this organization. And in looking at where I was in my life and the things that are going on around me and around us as a society, I don't know that I had the ability to do that. I could have sat here, could have continued to serve the industry but I don't know that it would have been my best. And ultimately, that was the decision. That was the turning point for me. Because all the other personal things, I could have accommodated the job to make those things happen. I could have had the job, made some sacrifices on the job in order to do that. But really, it was about, am I in a position to give the best to this organization? And I just couldn't answer it as a yes. Paul, why is that? Why did you feel in the last few months or maybe the last year that you weren't able to do your best because certainly well before then, you were able to do your best and you absolutely did your best. What shifted in the last little bit? I don't want it to sound like COVID is a reason. COVID is part of my story. It'll be part of all of our stories. It'll be part of this industry's story. But COVID did force me to think about Am I enjoying what I'm doing? And over the past nine months, I've had to get really, really good at doing things 
that made me miserable. Mm. And that's as frank as I can put it. You know, we did cut back on the size of the organization. We did cut back on the things that I love doing, the outreach, the advocacy, the legislative work, the speaking and, you know, and rallying the troops. And I didn't see where there was a clear end to that, at least in the short term. Yeah. That, you know, it's really where I maybe I wanted to end my career, you know, that going out on a career where those are the last things that I'm doing and maybe a fresh set of eyes brought to this position could see a fresh set of opportunities that I might not have been in the best position to see. That's heavy and real. And thanks for sharing that pretty raw, Paul. I want to shift to some of the things that maybe you're most proud of in the industry. I mean, you crushed it for 20 years for PPAI, 10 years at the helm, and you had some real successes, some things that I think you are very proud of. And I know you're a humble guy, but let's hear some of the things that you just kind of look back on fondly. If you've got any epic moments, maybe you can talk about a few of those things. Well, the first 10 years with my predecessor, Steve Slagle, was just a delight. He was my mentor, and we complemented each other really well in getting the organization's work done. And he's one of those people, you probably didn't see it on the outside, because he was a very personal and private person. We had you know, a good belly laugh every day. And I think that if you can work in an environment where you have one of those every day, that separates you from about 50% of the workforce, whatever industry you're in. So I'll always look at that as my starting point and develop my love for association management and for PPAI. Danny, for me, in a certain sense, these last couple of days have been you know, like attending your own funeral. In a lot of ways, you're watching people say things about you on a wall, you know, someplace that either on social media or the messages that are being sent to me that a lot of people don't get to hear during their lifetime. Some of the feedback was like, hey, I love what we did with your outreach and your legislative work and those things. And, you know, I got paid well to do those things on behalf of this industry. Like That was the job. That's what you paid me to do. But the ones that were most meaningful was I'd get a note from somebody who I think I remember who they were. I'm not exactly sure, but they said, I met you in 2014 at Expo, and I asked you a question, and you walked with me side by side to package mail, you know, or I was standing in line with you at a Starbucks at Expo or at some regional event, and, you know, you bought coffee for everybody behind you, you know, as you were doing it. And those are the things that have truly stopped me down as I'm reading them, and I'm just like, geez, I, you know, I blew past those things, you know, and focused on the bigger ones, but I'm glad that the small ones, I'm glad people responded to them. But boy, that to me has been the the things that's been in the million little things that people recall and not, you know, get in touch campaign or something like that. Yeah, that's a great answer. I feel like there's this ripple effect and it's your legacy in so many ways, but as a sitting board member, And coming in when we were working on the strategic plan, I remember you really hammering home this idea of moving from a transactional organization to a relational organization. And so two thoughts about that. One is, how the hell do you take an association to become relational, a massive organization to do that? And I've got to say, I really feel like you led... PPAI into the hearts of many, many people. It became super relational. And the second point is, it's obviously a reflection of you. And I think that's something you should be proud of. Well, thank you. I think we did it as a team. And it started, if you can't get the culture within your organization to meet the mission, you're not going to be able to share it with the members. And it's not going to have that contagion, that viral effect to it. So I remember we left that meeting, Danny, with four goals. One was great member value, advocate for the industry, strategic foresight, and the fourth one was run a good business. What was important to us as a staff is we went and we put, well, what does that mean? If you were a member, how does this relate to you? So underneath create great member value, 
we created this subtext that said, how do we get our members to love, engage, and trust in the organization? And under advocacy, we put, how do we create evangelists? So there was a very human set of words and emotions tied to every one of those goals. That was the external part of it. The internal part of it was, I don't want anybody to tell a member no for anything that they're asking for. We worked with the team on this over a long time. Like if, you know, if somebody came to us and said, hey, you guys, you should create company websites to blah, 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 blah. We actually said, you know, don't say no, we don't do that. Just say, yeah, we can do that. It'll probably cost you about $6,000, you know, whatever it is, or let people know that you're willing to do this for them and then let the no come from them, right? not from us. So it becomes their business decision, not our business decision. It's at the end of the day, Danny, no matter what we provided, our job is, continues to be, to make people feel good about the careers that they chose and in the industries that they work in. And if we can do that, that whole going to relational, pretty cool. It became easier to do that. And it's clear you did a fabulous job of that, Paul. And having been a member of PPAI for the better part of 20 years now, I can certainly say that you and the team delivered on that. And it's a tough mandate. So switching gears, Paul, let's talk about your regrets failures, biggest challenges that you were not able to overcome in your time at PPAI. Are there any examples of things you can share? Boy, that, that's such a great question. And, you know, it's funny in the past, we've always shared the questions in advance. We haven't on this one. I'm sure I'll come up with a different one tomorrow. I was just on a call. We did our staff appreciation luncheon via Zoom, of course. And I regret that I'm not having these conversations with people in person. Mm. I regret that I didn't know that Expo is going to be my last Expo, the last in-person, our last in-person Expo is going to be our last one. I probably would have given a few more hugs. You know, I probably would have said thank you to a few more people. So, you know, while it's not anything that I think I caused or I wasn't able to do, I just didn't have the wherewithal to think that this would turn into what it has. Right. But it was a pretty good run. You know, there wasn't a lot of things that we weren't able to do. But I think the little things that like it 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 bothers me that I might not see the two of you in person before my job here ends. Those are the types of things that I regret. I thought you were gonna definitely answer with Dale Denham or Tom Ghost as, as PPI board leaders were your biggest. <laughs> I've always gotten the chair that I needed. Yeah. And when you think about the succession of them and who came after who, and I'll say this out loud to any one of them, like after Rick Brenner, you need a Mark Jenkins. And after Mark Jenkins, you need a Mary Jo. And after Mary Jo, you need a Dale. And after, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, you just always need the next thing. You know, Brittany did an amazing job as chairperson. I agree. But boy, I'm glad I got Ira for the pandemic. <laughs> you know, I do. I, I mean, the guy's just yeah. genius. Yeah, that's great. Let's talk a little bit about the association since we're kind of talking a little bit about the board. It's interesting to have seen it evolve since you and I met at Expo many years ago and not knowing what PPAI was really delivering in terms of value to its members. And then, you know, to have this relationship and this conversation with you as you sunset a bit, you know, is such an interesting story. And I attribute so much of that to you and bringing me along for the ride and our company and overall, I think, the industry. And so the association's done a lot of incredible things. And this pandemic has really changed the association a lot. Let's talk about that. You know, we we know about the was, we're living through the is, let's talk about the will be. What do you think the association will be most challenged with in the coming years? Probably, Danny, shifting from an association that 
delivered most of its value through in-person events to one that's communicating with its members differently. Mm. And both from how do you show love virtually, how do we continue to become a relational organization when we're not doing it in person, and also financially, the expo and our live events, our live education were the second or first, you know, single or second largest revenue generators and profitability generators for the organization. You don't make a lot of money on legislative and product responsibility and those other things we do. So it's going to be shifting to an organization that fundamentally functions differently. Have to deliver the same things. We still need to inform and educate and advocate and engage. We still need to do those things, but it's really putting a mindset around how do you effectively do those things in a marketplace that in a shift from an in-person to digital or analog to digital. Mm -hmm. Any other thoughts about getting out ahead of it? Where we'll have to repurpose dollars, membership dollars to get out ahead of this stuff? Well, the association is in a good financial position. First and foremost, I think the board has done a great job over the years helping us create an environment where we are sustainable even through a downturn. So I'll be specific with you at your organization. You're part of the conversations. If we never ran another live event but didn't change anything about the way that we operate the organization and about how we spend our money, we could keep this organization alive for two and a half, three years. Now, I don't believe either of those things are going to happen. I think we will start having live events toward the end of 2021, 2022, 2023. And at the same time, we will reshape the way the organization works. We're a smaller organization by 40 people. We've done a really nice job of deciding things to stop doing in addition to deciding things, what we should be doing. So the organization is viable. I think it's still valuable. I have to tell you the 40 people that I have the opportunity to work with on a day-to-day basis are 40 of the best people that ever walked through the doors of this organization and care more about its viability moving forward than anybody who ever preceded them. And I think we have a board that's really looking forward to not just what we were, but what we can become. And I think that's a winning combination. Paul, I'm wondering for the benefit of the listenership, are you able to share any stats, revenues, number of employees, so on and so forth? Yeah. Of PPAI in January of 2020 to PPAI 11 months later, the time of this recording, November 19th, 2020. Sure. How has the organization evolved? Just to give people a sense as to how dramatically the organization has shifted over the last 10 months. Yeah, it's a a great question, Mark. So PPAI, like many trade associations, well, the way our calendar year works with our major event being in January, we recognize I think almost 85% of our total revenue in January. So Mark, when you pay your membership dues in June, let's say, six months of it goes towards this year, and then the other six months immediately flops over to January 1st of 2022. So you have all of this membership dollars dropping in on January. And then you have the PPI Expo, which is another 12, $13 million event dropping in January. We are one of those organizations that makes money in January and loses money for the next 11 months. And a lot of nonprofits operate that way because they kind of have that annual bake sale and the dues recognition, and then they roll out the other way. That allowed us to really make adjustments to the business. So by April, we were already looking at the fact that you know, we weren't having any live event, even though we couldn't announce them yet because of the contract negotiations. I would say by July of this year, we were pretty certain we weren't going to be able to run an expo 
We negotiated with Mandalay Bay. We negotiated with our hotels for NALC and women's leadership and all those things. From a revenue, so we probably achieved 23 out of 25 million. I could be off by a little bit, but 23 out of 25 million of our annual revenue this year, which makes us really wildly successful in the middle of a pandemic. Unfortunately, we're a lagging indicator of what's happening in the industry. So next year, we already know that we will be about half the size of that. So it's hard to do from January till now, but I can tell you, you know, January to January, I think our budget's about 50% on the revenue side. Right. And the reason for that is one, no expo. And two, our members report dues based on sales volume. You know, if a company's sales volume is down 50%, they're paying us significantly less in dues that following year. So, you know, we have that winning combination of lower dues and no live events. From a staffing perspective, we needed to be proactive. And over the last eight months, we've gone from a staff of 80 to a staff of 41. And that to me has been the most difficult part of this whole process. Yeah. You know, when the board says, you know, we should be doing this or we should be focusing on this, they said, well, we have 80,000 less man hours mm-hmm. than we had just 10 months ago. So, how would we like to prioritize this? Those 40 people, besides what they were as humans and individuals, represented resources of about 2,000 hours a year. 40 times that 2,000, 80,000 man hours. Wow. Let's talk about staff some more. I think this might get a little heavy and I don't mean it to, but I think it's maybe an opportunity for you to give some shout outs. I mean, I have been able to witness your interaction and engagement with these people that have just poured their heart into this association and industry and how you've managed through this difficult time. And I know it's been hard, but as you think about particular people, you know, and staff, any shout outs, any deeply meaningful thoughts that you want to share? I know you list them all, but anything you want to share on a handful? Just coming right off of that staff recognition lunch I just did where I did service anniversaries, designations that they had gotten throughout the year. My right and left hand, Bob and Alan, phenomenal. But I also recognized Ann Stone for just helping me keep my shit together over the last, you know, 12 years or 13 years. I mean, she is, you know, kind of the backbone of my success, her ability to make me look better than I am at most times, not in an administrative kind of way, but in a different kind of support kind of way. You know, I think if I had to give a shout out to somebody who really reflected the difficulties of this year was probably my good friend, Daryl Cook. Mm. who ran the expo and is no longer with the organization. He was a casualty of COVID. Daryl hired me in my first job in Texas 30 years ago. And I think about, you know, how that's progressed along the way. Then there are just so many individual stories and heroes, you know, in this building and outside this building that could be recognized. But I think if I had to talk about four people who I've counted on more than anyone over the, the last 10 years, it's Bob and, and then Alan and Ann and Daryl, because, you know, he managed that piece of the business that was so important to the organization. Nice. Paul, shifting gears and taking a look into the future, I wanted to get your perspective in a couple of areas. And the first was to get your thoughts on the prospects for the promotional products industry. I know that you never operated as a supplier or a distributor, but you operated at the helm of this industry association and were able to consume multiple data points and perspectives and just have an entirely different view of the industry from those like Danny and I that are a little bit more like hands-on into the weeds of the industry. As you depart, do you have any comments for those that are listening to this about 
your views on the future prospects of the industry. And I'd love to hear your positive thoughts because I know that you'll default to that, but I'd also love for you to spend some time on some of the pessimistic outlook that you might have or some things that we as an industry might need to look out for as much as we have things to look forward to. I'll do the optimistic part because I am an optimist and it's one of the reasons why I've fallen in love with this industry, the promotional products industry. We've seen this before. Yeah. You know, this is not our first pandemic. And I've said that we've had world wars and we've had depressions and we've had recessions and we've had terrorist attacks and natural disasters that have, you know, knocked us on our ass over the last 117 years for an association longer for an industry because we've been doing promotional products long before that. And this will just be another blip on the radar. You know, over time, we'll look at this as just one of those things in the next hundred year book of PPAI. I think what it showed us is that maybe we weren't always practicing what we were preaching. You know, I can think about it from an association standpoint. We used to preach to regionals all day long. You know, you can't be a one-trick pony, get out of the trade show industry a little bit and bring value somewhere else. Yeah. Well, we didn't do that. We tried to do that, but we didn't do it as successfully as we'd like to. I am optimistic about the value of regional associations moving forward because I think that as people start doing things in person again, they're going to start locally and then move nationally. One of the examples we used on that, Mark, was, you know, I can plan an expo and, you know, make it like formatically sealed and, and that you're guaranteed not to get a virus if you walk into the building, but people still had to get in Ubers and get on airplanes and stay in hotels and run into other people. I think regionals have that advantage now for their way of developing community because people get in their car and then they go back home at the end of the day. I think for the industry itself, it's proven that value is not procurement. Anybody can procure anywhere and in many ways, probably more efficiently than we can. But it's the commonality of those companies that I see being successful right now through this pandemic had two things with their customers. They had permission, they had permission of their customers, and they had the confidence of their customers. And neither of those were, they were the cheapest price. Permission and confidence. And I use this as an example. Even though our industry is struggling. It's hard to find an industry that's not. I mean, there's some out there, but there's some that's not. And those people are waiting for us to bring them solutions. Mm. They're not asking us to buy product cheaper. But just because an employee might not be in the office doesn't mean that they don't need to be engaged. They don't need to be motivated. And they don't need to be recognized and rewarded and encouraged. And just because your customers aren't meeting you at a trade show doesn't mean you don't want to be in front of them with a brand and with a message. Mark, you've known that from the beginning. You've known the value of that well-timed piece of recognition delivered to people in ways that they might not have gotten it, but you earn the right to do that. So I think the companies that did well in PPE had permission and confidence. The suppliers that did really well, permission and confidence of the distributors. And in nowhere did we say, procurement and lower price. You know, you have customers now that are giving you their clients' home addresses yep. and their employees' home addresses. And that's not based on a transactional procurement-only relationship. Yeah. I just want to comment that I was listening to the podcast episode that we recorded about eight months ago, right at the start of the pandemic. I think it was like March 13th we were recording this with you, Paul, and Danny as well. And we were talking about the power of our medium. And I think at the time we were hopeful <laughs> that we were going to come out of this. And I think that what we were talking about was the resilience of our industry, the fact that the industry and the products that we sell drive considerable value. And as they say, we were sort of hoping at the time because everything was so new. Yeah, But it is amazing to me with the benefit of the last seven to eight months as we've gone through this pandemic that I've been absolutely amazed at how resilient the industry has been. It's amazing to see some of the success that distributors are starting to see now. By no means is it the go-go days of, say, two years ago, right. but it's a heck of a lot better than it was in March and April. Yeah. 
Danny, you remember that? That time when people were furloughing people left, right, and center? And you think about the number of industry firms that have hired people back yeah. and new hires that are happening right now. So as I say, my optimism is somewhat guarded, but it is amazing to see how we have shifted and have been able to communicate the value of our product medium to end clients. It's, it's been extraordinary. In completely different ways. Mark, I go back to those challenges that we've had, the depressions, the wars. We've had a pandemic before. We've had all of these things. Our industry has always been part of the comeback. We've always been part of the solution. Yep. And I can't say that for any other media. Yep. I don't know one. And I'm not just saying that because I'm paid to do this job. I'm just trying to think of any other communication method that's been part of it. And whether it's after 9-11, how our industry played a role in sharing that message of hopefulness and how people go to events, all the way to how we, you know, we're part of it now, even though you know, none of us wanted to be in the stand six feet away from each other signage business. That's us. You know, that's us at our roots and at our core. And, you know, we've always been part of the comeback and we will be again. Yeah. I love the optimism. Love it. Love it. Love it. Let's talk about the Black Crows. You guys want to talk about the Black Crows? Let's do it. Yeah. Shake your moneymaker, man. Yeah, that's right. Well, we're going to talk about hard to handle, actually, that one. There was a book that came out last year, I think, the drummer. Steve Gorman wrote a book about the Black Crows and his experience with these two brothers who were brilliant, but psychotic, you know, drugs and crazy and and probably the essence of why that band was so good and was starting to have a comeback. But he wrote this book and he was interviewed. I listened to an interview he did and they asked the drummer, obviously, they're not going to invite you back now you put this book out. And so I said, what are you going to? tell the new drummer? What would you tell the new drummer? And Steve Gorman said something like, I tell him to wear a Switzerland soccer jersey is what I do. Like, just keep out of the hell, right? Just play the middle of the road. Don't pick a side ever and you'll be fine was his advice. So (laughs) you know where I'm going now, I hope. Yeah. In keeping with this, Paul, what are you going to tell the new kid, the new man or woman that leads the association in the future, what will be your advice? Danny, I think you know the answer to this one. You don't tell them anything, you show them. You can't tell somebody how to treat other people. You can't tell them what you think is going to be important to that other person. What we did fundamentally was we have 16,000 members right now, 15,000 something. We don't try to win all 15,000 of them because they're just too different. They're large and they're small and they're big and distributors and suppliers and blah, blah, blah. What we did say was, hey, folks, we're marching this way. Who wants to come along with us? And you can't tell them to come along with them. You could just show them. You can be aspirational about what they can be and what their businesses could be. So I would tell that predecessor to be something, stand for something, and show people that you really care about their business and about the industry that they're doing their business in. Paul, when you think about the next leader of the organization, what do you think the industry association needs in a new leader? Is it someone that comes from outside the industry? Is it someone that maybe a practitioner of promotional products, say someone inside the industry, say a distributor or a supplier or a service provider? Is it someone from a totally different background? What's your hunch? Are you able to comment on that? Yeah, I can. I have an opinion on it. It's an opinion. So I think it needs to be an association management professional because the complexity of running the organization, it's engaging volunteers, it's managing different constituencies, it's creating vehicles and forums for people doing things. It's running the nonprofit governance, which is complex as it is. It's so much like what we're trying to impress with our customers that, yeah, I know you can order this online and go direct, but there's a value add in working with a professional that does this all day long. Where the volunteer 
tier where the member voice comes in and the member opinions and the member guidance. Well, that's why we have a volunteer structure. You know, we have a strategy that's developed by the practitioners. We have governance policies that are dictated by the practitioners. But the actual execution, you know, don't try this home. It's a little harder than it looks. You know what I mean? Right. And it's certainly possible that it can happen. But I don't know that somebody within the industry is going to really have the wherewithal and the distance to be able to make decisions that may not look perfect for the businesses today, but positions the industry for what it needs to look like in the future. So I'm not an end-all and a be-all like an owner of a company. I'm a pass-through. And I think that knowing that I'm a pass-through to this organization allows me the distance to be able to make decisions that a practitioner might not. Yeah. Hmm. Makes sense. You may be a pass-through, but I will say you're a pass-through that has been a part of leading this progressive organization for what a fifth of its existence, which says a lot. It really does. So don't short sell yourself there for sure. Let me ask kind of a, a humorous question because it's getting heavy. I want to keep it a little bit light because your personality to me is someone who can come across as very conservative, but you're so lighthearted. And some people don't know that and they deserve to know it. So here's my question. Uh-huh. It's kind of a TMZ question, actually. Watch out, Paul. So there was a chance meeting that happened in Florida where you happen to run into what many would say would be PPAI's biggest competitor in the space, which, by the way, I think the competition is beautiful. It makes the industry better. But there's a guy some of us know and love named Tim Andrews who ran into you in Florida by chance. Mm. And then just shortly after that, this announcement came out. Is there any truth in that as I asked my TMZ question? So without breaching any confidences on something, Tim and I, you have to really think about the relationship. And when I took the job as CEO, the organizations really weren't talking. Two years earlier, I think it was, I guess I was removed from the membership and threats of lawsuits, a lot of just nonsense. 50 years of history before Mm. I got into the role. And Tim and I approached it as, okay, at a minimum, the kids don't like it when mommy and daddy fight. Mm. That was kind of our mantra, you know? So at least for the appearances of the organizations and of the industry, let's seem like we enjoy each other. Over the next 10 years, I've come to consider him a friend, actually a good friend. And I've enjoyed his company. He is a mentor to me. He's an incredibly sharp businessman. And we actually speak fairly regularly about things just to catch up. We tell stories about you guys. You know, we share the war stories. Neither of us like surprises, but I think that we've grown into a nice collegial relationship. You got to remember, everybody in our industry is a competitor you know, with each other. We don't have territories, all of our products kind of the same, but there's no reason why Tim and I couldn't have created that same collegiality among competition. I happened to be in Florida last week. I saw that he was in Florida last week or two weeks ago, and I just reached out to him and I said, hey, I'm looking for a recommendation on a tapas restaurant. Not topless, Danny, tapas. <laughs> and, and he you know, he's like, I don't have one. I'll, I'll get back to you. And he's like, hey, do you want to meet up for a drink? And I was like, no, well, how about tomorrow morning? And we wound up having coffee and quiche and muffins the next day. Not because either of us had to do it, because we wanted to do it. So then that great picture comes out. I'm standing there. He's standing there. We have the masks on. So he sent me a text. And I don't think I'm breaching anything here. He said, was it something I said when we made the announcement on Tuesday? And I said, no, Tim, I can't go on in this industry with them all knowing that you have better legs than me. That's, that's truly the, the level of conversation we have. And then, you know, there was some kind words exchanged. And I said, Coke and Pepsi have always made each other better. That's how I feel about our relationship. Love it. It brings me back to an interview that I did with you and Tim at one of our events. I think it was in Chicago. And that was really cool, by the way. 
I loved it. That was really the first time. Generally, those things were very internal. Yeah. It was the first time that it was being done and then publicized externally, like outside of a company. It was so neat. And something that either you or Tim said, which I think really drove home the point of your relationship, is that PPAI is the church and ASI is the state. And I suppose throughout history, there's been challenges between church and state. And there's also been times sure. when they have interacted and complemented one another beautifully. And I think it's a real testament to both of your leadership that you were able to come together, again, recognizing the competition. Yeah. But you know, it's interesting you think about that. Company like Right Sleeve and Brand Fuel, in every respect, are competitive with one another. And yet Danny and I met, what, 12 years ago, Danny? Apologetically, our, right? Yeah, with, <laughs> I think our good friend Craig Morantz set us up. Yep. So cheers to Craig. But it's in many respects the same way. And if you think about how, at least in my experience, in my 20 years in this industry, when I first started out, it felt like a very closely guarded industry, an industry where people didn't really share and collaborate with each other. A lot of tension, it felt like. Sure. And I think over the years, my personal journey in this industry showed me that you could be friends with your competition. You could collaborate. You could share ideas. And I think suppliers also felt that way as well. When I feel we are now in 2020, that so much of the industry is just so much closer. And maybe that's just my perspective, but I feel it's one that I've been able to develop over 20 years. And it's wonderful to see the two heads of our respective industry associations feel the same way because things are just better when, when people cooperate. So cheers to you. And we both do better when we have a healthier and stronger industry. Yeah. I mean, even if you looked at it in the most selfish way, we will grow, you know, our businesses by doing something that's good for the industry. Yeah. I think also, Mark, the thing that I have in common with Tim is that we're both like, hey, there's enough sunshine to go around. You know what yeah. I mean? Like our industry is not a zero sum game that there has to be a winner and there has to be a loser. Yep. If we can grow this thing together, you know, both of us can have the opportunity to shine. And I don't think we ever tried to step on each other yeah. in that. So it's become healthy and helpful. Yeah. It's also interesting if you note that both of your careers in the promotional products industry are almost exactly the same in terms of length. I think Tim started in the early 2000s, yep. as did you, Paul. I think you started in 1998 at PPAI, but give or take. And so it's interesting that the hired guns brought into the industry over two decades have been able to form this friendship, both personally and professionally. So it's great. Mark, do you realize, though, that there's probably a reason for that? You know, I may think about, Tim may think about, but the outsider, not the outsiders, the people who aren't in the roles don't think about. We both came when the industry was in a massive transition from everything being a secret to the internet. Yeah. I mean, the first hundred years or so of our industry, yep. you know, secret pricing, secret coding, you know, line names and yep. blah, blah, blah. And, and then now it's a completely different world that we're in and everybody's a little bit more transparent. And I think that we were both put in place to manage an industry that was going through that change. Yeah. I think there's a quote, the rising tide raises all ship shaped Foam stress relievers. Yes, I think it is. I think that's what it is, something like that. I think so. Yeah. Well, I was going to riff real quick just for a second and just kind of throw out some, you know, I went back and looked at some of my board notes. I'm not going to disclose anything. Don't worry, Paul. And then some communications you, you and I had and just some industry news. And I'm just going to riff for a second here. It's a thank you in a way. And, and I think I speak on behalf of, of the industry, but I, I want to get this in. One is, Thanks for the advocacy on behalf of the industry. Second is, you know, just really having a progressive mindset. I think that really has boded well for our industry in, in amazing ways. Making promotional products more of a marketing medium, the work with ITR and the investment there and, and taking us down that path around data-driven behaviors in the industry for being an amazing community builder. And the thing you coined that I think has been used by many now that we just talked about around big tent philosophies and for supporting Promo Kitchen, for sticking your neck out and saying, hey, you guys could be a competitor 
of ours, but you're a nonprofit trying to you know, raise up the industry. We want to support that as PPAI. And that Big Tent philosophy, I think, has taken the association a very, very long way. I think you've looked at threats like ASI and you've turned them into collaborative opportunities. The focus on education has been amazing. We've seen so much of that. The strategic planning work that I've been fortunate to be a part of has really steered the big ship. The town halls, you know, putting the eye in PPAI for international, the relationships with Canada and beyond, that very nuanced relationship with SAGE, which I think grew both organizations, was a very, very hard, complex, and very good result for the industry and the association. I think using the word love in PPAI happens a lot more than it ever did before. And I think it will continue to because of a lot of things that you did. You built trust amongst us and built an association, a nonprofit around people coming together. And like Mark was really hitting on a second ago, being able to talk to your competitors and trust each other that you're going to work together versus at each other. Strategic abandonment, you know, like the awards that had to be changed. Those were hard things that were done. You and Mark get a big shout out for bringing Seth freaking Godin to the industry as a keynote. And of course, you know, Mark's got Seth coming back and you and and Tim talking at the big stage in January again. I could go on and on. I also want to say thank you for your support of Band Together. It's been so wonderful. Just thank you a thousand times over. Well, that's really nice. It was a nice little recap. I'm proud of it. I'm proud of what we've done. I'm going to share something with you guys because I know nobody listens to this thing and I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Somebody asked me what drives me and I really thought about it. I am an introvert with an almost near paralyzing case of imposter syndrome. And when you have that winning combination going for you, you just never feel like you've done enough and everybody may figure out that you're not all that they think you are. So you try even harder. So um, it's shown up in a good way here, I think. And I'm pretty proud of that, Danny. I really appreciate that you noticed those things. I'm not alone, man. I think the entire industry has seen it. Thank you. Paul, what's next? We were joking before we hit the record button that, you know, you're going to be unemployed in a few months and you might not know (laughs) what to do with yourself. Are you able to share anything with some thoughts you have, heading up another association? Have you given any thought to post-March? I have. So I have incredible friends and colleagues and relationships in the association management industry. So I know that I can make a decision and go that way. Same for our industry. I've fallen in love with this industry. And I have amazing friends and colleagues and opportunities here as well. I have five months or longer to make that decision. My next five months are focused on this organization. And the third option, which is seeming more and more appealing, is to pretend I'm a college student and take a gap year Mm. to really sort it out. The only challenge with that is college students on gap years get to travel. (laughs) And there's really... I can't go to Canada, Mark. You won't let us in. I can't go to most of the other states. They won't let us in, you know? So I'll call Trudeau and make an exception. I don't know the answer to that. I've been fortunate. Not everybody has that fortune to be able to make those types of decisions. So I feel fortunate that I can. Yeah. Well, it's it's an exciting phase. I, I think I was speaking with someone about this and that you're definitely not at an age where you'd want to retire. It must be a nice spot to be in where you're at this stage in your life where you've accomplished so much. You're going out on a total high. You can choose from any number of roles that you want on your terms and hopefully able to do it in a way that is going to make you happy from a personal, professional life balance. And we certainly wish you well. And I know the industry will be really excited to see where you go, but I think that all of us would say that we're certainly excited for you and want to see you land in a great spot. Well, I appreciate that. It's been incredibly rewarding. I was talking with Brittany David the other day, and I said, how long do I have to wait before I could put that little icon on my LinkedIn profile that says open to work? <laughs> <laughs> and she said, <laughs> and, 
And she just gave me one of those SMHs, like, you know, shake my head, doofus, you know? So, yeah. Who knows? Who knows where we're going to take this? I think, Paul, you'd be fantastic as a sales rep at Brand Fuel. I mean, Danny, you know, he's a tough employer, but, you know, you could talk to him. <laughs> well, Paul knows he has a seat here. We've got the hair chair. That's right. I've been in the hair chair. Paul has visited several times, which is great. Just your, your Paul Bellantone Touch the World Tour stuff that you've done. I hope that continues with the next person who follows you. That's been class act stuff. So, so thanks yeah. there. Yeah. Well, thanks, gentlemen. This has been a pleasure for me. And really, you know, I don't know when this is going out. It's Friday afternoon at three o'clock here in Texas. And it's been like a nice punctuation mark at the end of a very, very rewarding week for me. Yeah. Emotional and rewarding week. Right on. Thank you. Bravo, Paul. Before we conclude our episode, we wanted to share some highlights from past Promo Kitchen podcasts with Paul. In this montage, we start with Paul's first interview with us as CEO at the PPAI Expo 2012 and conclude in March 2020 when we were grappling with the impact of the pandemic. Paul's optimism for our medium and the industry has long been a hallmark of his time as CEO. We invite you to enjoy some of these highlights. Well, I've been with the organization. I've been with PPAI since 1999. It'll be 12 years. And obviously the new role since June as president and CEO. I am optimistic. I am an optimist. And I sometimes like to reduce things down to numbers. When I was traveling around the country over the past six months with Chairman Eric Ekstrand, and we would talk to people and they'd say, what do you think is happening in the industry? Do you think the industry's seen its best days? For me, it's a definite no. And I look at it a couple of different ways. Mathematically, I look at it and I say, okay, if there are 28 million businesses in the United States and there's only 18,000 that are considered large businesses with more than 500 employees, well, that means there are 27,982,000 companies out there that need our services. They're prime for our services. We always hear our distributor members talking about the big clients they lost, the Fortune 500 client they lost, but the reality is there's a lot of businesses out there that are just prime. We're all about small businesses, we're made of it. So I'm an optimist in that sense. The second part of it is I think that our members recognize that this is a new normal and that they're not gonna be able to just wait around for the economy to turn, that they need to make something out of it. And I actually heard the quote today, it might be a bad economy, but it doesn't need to be my bad economy. So I see people out there doing some things differently, trying to create value. I want to get your perspective on the future of Expo, future of trade shows, maybe more broadly speaking. Bobby and I have had a few podcasts where we have discussed the effectiveness of trade shows from our perspective as distributors. And I think that we concluded that we still are very enthusiastic and optimistic about shows and we get great value from them. And then, of course, we've received some opinions from some suppliers that have been a little bit more uncertain about the value of the show right. because they'll say that there's too many people that walk down the booths, they're not educated, they're not engaging the suppliers with the right questions, it's not particularly strategic, there's catalogs that are wasted all over the place. How do you respond to these concerns and do you see this evolving and changing over the course of the next three to five years? Trade shows are as much a product as they are a delivery vehicle. You know, much like whether it's a magazine or whether it's social media, it has to be reflective in a good way to show the content that's actually happening. I mean, a trade show is really a reflection of what's happening in the industry. If you look at the PPII Expo, it was only a few decades ago that there weren't salespeople on the show floor. It was only company principals. And then it got modified a little bit later and they said, okay, in day two, you can bring your salespeople. And now trade shows are predominantly salespeople. So you really can't separate it from being a reflection of what's happening around it. But I think the fact that you did your reception and you had 356 people tells me that regardless of how people communicate, and obviously you're communicating through podcasts and your blogs, but 356 people showed up because they wanted to see the person that they've been talking to. I think that the trade show needs to be willing to absorb whatever the community that's coming wants it to be. I mean, we have more social media happening on the trade show floor in a place where you have the opportunity to actually talk to somebody, but we're engaging in social media. We're sitting here doing a podcast <laughs> at a trade show. So I am enthusiastic about trade shows because I'm enthusiastic about people getting face-to-face -face and talking to each other. 
is the word swag bad? And I would agree it's not a bad term. I think it's a difficult term. It's a difficult term for us to put into the context of a marketing medium when we're talking about legislators and some buyers who might not be of the generation who are calling it swag. So from our perspective, if your customer wanted to call it trinkets or if your customer wanted to call it a tchotchke, you'd embrace that and you'd sell them what it is as long as it's part of a program that you think is going to do their brand right. But we have the same challenge with those words in D.C. as well. And when we get a piece of legislation that's coming down the pike and it says, you know, this agency will no longer use gifts, incentives, trinkets, novelty items, swag. Well, from association standpoint, we want to separate those words from promotional products because with promotional products, we're discussing a marketing medium. And with swag, we're talking about the product itself. It is starting to skew a little bit younger. I think the industry, and it's pretty unscientific. I walked across the expo show floor this year and I saw a lot more younger people getting engaged in our industry. And I was parked out in front of ASI Dallas and outside the Omni and I'm looking at people with show badges on and they looked a lot younger than they did a dozen years ago when I started. Mark and I were talking about this a little bit earlier today and is it a good thing? I think it's a great thing. I think it's fantastic that our industry is being exposed to people younger. I had the opportunity to think about it a little bit more and I think a lot of it is that economy driven. A lot of those folks, elder folks that were in the industry 12 years ago, this wasn't their first career choice. I mean, unless you were a legacy company, you did something else and you ran into a promotional products person and you decided that this is something you can do. But I think that because of the economic climate right now and the unemployment that's out there, especially for folks coming out of school, younger folks, that this is a really viable, valuable industry. It's got everything that the millennials are looking for. It's got a levels of autonomy. I mean, you can be as engaged or unengaged with other people in this industry as you want. It's got a definite creative edge to it. It's got a technology edge to it, if you want to take it that way. And the reward part of it is immediate, which that generation is looking for. I mean, you sell a good program, you're going to make some money on it. And so the reward is real and it's tangible. And I'm excited about it. I know sitting on a couple of boards, one of the things we're constantly concerned with because of the proliferation of information on the internet, the fact that they have that information at their fingertips. You know, 10 years ago, for you to connect into a community and to get information, you really had to go to the associations. That was the go-to place. Is that a bigger challenge today? As technology savvy as most of the folks, I would say the folks in Promo Kitchen are more technology savvy than the general population out there. Let's just say that because they're linking into things like podcasts and the website and they're using it as a resource. But at the end of the day, you're getting more people at your promo kitchen live function than we're getting on a lot of different things. And that means people still want to do business with people. They still want to have that interaction. Absolutely. And I guess the question is, is this younger generation joiners? And I would say, yes, they're joining Facebook, they're joining LinkedIn, they're joining Twitter, they're joining things that we didn't have the opportunities to join. I would say that the people in this room are probably more connected to different social networks, if we want to call an association a network, than I ever had the opportunity to do at the same age. I think from an association standpoint, from a PPAI standpoint, getting people to join, we haven't reached that PK. We think there's still opportunity out there. How do you monetize it, though? I mean, all of these social networks are trying to find ways to monetize the groups that they have. And I think associations, that's the challenge for us. So people are joining a lot of things for free right now. And associations still have that membership fee hurdle. And I think you're going to start seeing associations go to, it'll take time for it to happen, but you'll see more free associations. And then you pay for a la carte for Hmm. different services that you want provided. We've been around for a hundred and. 13 years now, the association since 1903. And, you know, we were an industry that our value was that we were a secret. Nobody knew how to get the product. You had to either, you know, have the book or the search tool to find the product. You know, it's only in the last couple of decades that we've become public because people can go online and find product and really jump around our entire industry. So while we've been successful for over a century, How we're going to remain successful has changed. We are no longer a secretive industry. Anybody can find any product anywhere. So what we've been challenged with, and I think the board and the staff here has done a pretty good job, 
is finding ways to talk about our industry as an advertising medium and not just a product procurement channel. And one of the ways we're doing that, and Larry, I know you, you know this, the board approved last year an industry branding initiative where they've put multiple millions of dollars into a five-year plan for us to promote our industry. And we've gone out and we've hired a branding company and a PR company called Saxum who's working with us. And you're going to see ads in Advertising Week magazine. You're going to see videos that our members can connect to. You're going to see collateral materials that our members can send to their customers and their prospects, not necessarily talking about product, but talking about how we stack up to the other advertising medium and why promotional products work. And it's going to be supported by research and it's going to be supported by case histories. So, Paul, when did you first learn about the shooting in Las Vegas? Where were you at the time? I was actually in Chicago getting ready to board a flight to Cleveland to do some of the association speaking roles that I have. I think it was about 6 a.m. that I put a post up on Facebook. I said, How tragic, good grief. You know, the first response that you really have to something like this. I think by about 6.10, I was on the phone with our director of expositions, Daryl Cook. So we were on it pretty early, as I think most people were. To be honest, it was actually the adult version of How Tragic right. Good Grief. You know, you look at it and say, you know, what's happening here and why is this happening? This whole process has been interesting for me personally, Mark, and I know for a lot of the people on the team here, it's because we break it up into two different things. The first one is we're all attendees yeah. to events like this. We're all in this industry. The second part is the responsibility that we have to the membership and the organization to be producing this event that serves our industry. So I would tell you that the first reactions were first as a human with a son who attends festivals with me. And the second part was, okay, we have responsibility to membership. We have a communication plan. What we have here is one of these learning moments that we can go back and say, to be that thing that you were talking about, Mark, to be that consultant to your client that Danny's talking about, that's not a conversation. This should go to show you that that's not a conversation that you can have during the crisis. The relationship that you've had built up to this is going to be the amount of trust that they're going to put in you to do something moving forward. But I think that if you've never been a creative consultant to your customer, all of a sudden you're going to show up and make like you're going to be able to solve all these great problems for them. I think that window is already closed. I don't think they're looking for that from you. So I think it reinforces. It reinforces that you have to build these relationships during good and bad. You can't just do them when they become convenient. If this coronavirus is not under control by the end of the year, and PPAI needs to cancel the expo, what financial impact does that have on our industry association if you're not able to have your annual bake sale, as you call it? Yeah, about, I wanna say it's 40 something percent of the total top line revenue. It's a massive amount of money that we would have on the table. Some of that would be mitigated. Obviously, we wouldn't have all of the expense against it because we do insure against certain things and we have vendors that have long-term relationships with us. So we'd be able to mitigate expense. It's not going to be crippling. We have reserves. We have reserves that could cover not having an expo for a couple of years. God forbid that ever be the case. So we would dip into reserves. We would keep the operation of the association moving forward. We'd continue to find ways to provide member benefits and that access to each other that people down on Expo. But it would be devastating to the association. It would be devastating to the members to not have the Expo, which is their number one meeting place in the industry each year. Let's say the show doesn't happen for some reason, which I don't think we anticipate it not happening by January. I think we're all very hopeful and think this thing starts to die down by then. But you know, maybe uh, Expo East becomes Expo, you know, it's, Expo East is a solid event, but you know, maybe we put some energy into that, breathe life into that. So what I'd like to say about, you know, my role is being able to have the good fortune to serve in the boardroom at PPAI with Paul and, and so many other great folks is that it's just, 
I can say that like with every ounce of my person that PPAI is prepared and that makes me really proud. I think we've made hard but very important decisions through the years that I've been able to serve and and what I'd add to that is we got a strategic planning session that's coming up in the near future which I think you know this will be a part of it obviously and the staff is amazing. They are just fantastic. Paul's leadership, it's incredible. I think we have thought these sorts of things through. We didn't see this one coming, but I think we're prepared. And I also want to say that, you know, there's this degree of empathy, I think, that that courses throughout the organizational veins of the organization. That sounds sort of weird, but there's empathy. There's caring about membership and it's not all about making money. It really is about taking care of membership and elevating this industry and helping the industry get through it. And that gives me a, a massive, massive source of pride. I think it's one of those things where we need as an industry to look at ourselves as part of a, a bigger ecosystem. It's not all about us. I gotta tell you, I watch some stuff on Facebook I'm reading and I'm watching people lose their mm-hmm. crap over orders that are going south on this thing. And, like watch the news people are dying it's bigger than promo now i think promo is a way that we're going to be celebrating successes and that people will come together we are always that thing you know on the back side of this what is our industry going to be able to do to help people rally around and educate about diseases and viruses and how they get transferred but right now i would just say danny and i know it's something that's going to speak to you be kind yeah. People have stuff going on right now in ways that we can't even imagine. And then this is just dumped on top of it. You know, people are going to lose their jobs. People are, you know, it's going to trigger a number of things, many of which we've not even touched upon on this call. Mm-hmm. Be kind. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.